Welcome to episode 180 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us today. This week, we're talking with Dr. Robert Zembrowski. That's Dr. Z to most of the world. He's the author of the book, Rebuild. And today, he's giving us a fascinating look at the power we have to restore and revitalize our own health. Well, Dr. Z, it is so terrific to have you join us here today. You know, I'm really excited to talk to you because you look at disease in such a different way. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I I think it's really important for people to know that you're not just another medical professional who's written a book about disease, but this is really comes from your own experiences in overcoming disease. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that journey for us. You know, it's it was kind of a crazy time. Some several years back, I had an avalanche of stress happen to me with a drug addict stealing from me in a new home and a relationship that kind of fell apart. And it all happened at once. Basically, the busiest time of my career, getting my certification as a neurologist in my field. And it really just, it happened all at once. And the way that I dealt with my stressors in the past, my MO, if you will, was just to hold it in. It was just something that I wouldn't express or talk to people about. And I remember not sleeping in the gut-wrenching stress for hours on end and sleepless nights. I mean, I drank an incredible amount of wine to try to put myself to sleep. I'm ashamed to say that, but nevertheless, it didn't work. And so after my stress had subsided along with my unhealthful eating habits and my trying to medicate myself, two years later, 18 months later, two years later, I'm looking at a five-inch tumor in my chest. And so the cancer was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which then started me on the path of crisis care and medical care to get the cancer eradicated if I could. And so I went through seven months of chemotherapy, four weeks of radiation, and then actually became my own patient advocate, if you will. And I think they listened to me because I'm a doctor myself to actually cut my chest open to remove a tumor, a cancerous tumor that they claim to never have done before. And so following that, I dove into the research to then rebuild myself and write my first book, Rebuild, based on my experience. I think what is so fascinating is you give us hope that not only can you come back from a diagnosis, you, as your book title says, you can rebuild yourself to be stronger and better and healthier than you were before. You know, it's a great point. And I think people don't realize, you know, as we tell people, or even as I've written in the book, that medical doctors and other healthcare professionals will tell people that their health fate, if you will, is based on genes, bad luck, you got struck by lightning, or it's genetic. And it really leaves people powerless to take control. And I think that's one of the most destructive things and and something that's a pet peeve of mine when people talk about remission. And again, rebuild's not about just cancer. It's about rebuilding the internal systems that create disease. But as I think about the word remission, it really does bother me because what does it really mean in the mind's eye of somebody or in the imagination of somebody that a disease is coming back, whether it's cancer, heart disease, and autoimmune disease, which really the psychology of words and what's out there and what people are being told leaves them powerless. And what I wanted to do with the book as I wrote the book was not only provide the five steps to rebuild from disease, but really to empower people so they feel good about the change. It's, as I also say, a diagnosis isn't your destiny. You choose what you do with that diagnosis. And again, as we lay out the information in the book for people to do that, to create a personal plan for themselves, 
I really want people to feel good. I want to empower people. And sadly enough, it's not done. So often you hear people default to, well, I'm genetically predisposed to this. I hear that a lot in my own family, that things are just going to happen because of our genetics. And you give us the power to use that as, okay, that's something I might have to look at, but that doesn't mean that's my future. Exactly. And if if somebody has a genetic predisposition for something, maybe you have to step a little left of the curb to watch it. However, the research does say that it's the internal environment of the body that communicates with your genetics to then dictate whether you get diseased or not. So if you create unhelpful signals to your genetics, they will turn against you. And if you honor them and give them good signals, if you will, then they will give you excellent help. And that brings our point before that empowering people, that if you're told that your health issue is genetic, you just go, oh, what the heck? It's genetic. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say or do or actions I can take to influence that at all, which is really a sad state of affairs. And if you think about it, why don't adolescent girls develop breast cancer? Why don't people develop Parkinson's disease in their teens or 20s? Because it's not really based on genes. It's how long we've abused the internal systems of our body, if you will, that then those genes become reactive, creating the disease. So really, it's not genetic per se. You may have a predisposition, but you have the control to turn certain genes on and turn them off or regulate them to have excellent health or not. And your prescription for excellent health is multi-point. You have, we talk about exercise, you talk about nutrition, you talk about the emotional well-being. And to be honest, the things that are the great prescription for living are things a lot of people don't want to do. So how do you encourage people to, you know, live a healthy life and take the steps needed for perfect health when it's not a catastrophe, when they're not facing a horrible diagnosis? You know, I think if people realize that whether it's a life-depleting condition or it's a serious disease, there are simple things to take into account on not only reversing what caused those issues, but there's three things that I think people need to realize to make a sustainable change or make a decision that becomes sustainable to them. And so if someone is dealing with a chronic health issue or disease, they have to believe that where they are, their current state of health is no longer an option. Whether you want to lose weight, whether it's a chronic illness, you've just been diagnosed with cancer, people have to realize that their current state is not attainable or sustainable. And the second phase of helping people realize that they have control, again, number one, the current state is they have to realize that where they are is no longer sustainable. What I call the transition state is a phase or state of a person where they're no longer satisfied where they are, but they are not yet where they want to be which then gives you the book Rebuild, where I give you the five principles or five steps outlined for people to take simple principles of eating well and getting rid of inflammatory foods, exercising with some intensity, managing your stressors or changing your perception of your stressors, certainly getting a good night's sleep and something that I enjoyed writing about, reducing contamination. Those are really the five big steps, which is about that transition phase. And the future step, if you want these things to stick or hold, you have to see the future. You have to emotionally feel where you want to be. Maybe you want to be with your family. Maybe you want to live longer. Maybe you, you want to you know, see your kids go through college. And maybe you just don't want a recurrence. So I, I think there's 
a few emotional things people need to feel in order to use the principles that are outlined, which isn't that difficult. Those steps aren't that difficult. Well, what I love about it is, as I was reading this, it's kind of like if it's a perfect book for someone who's in great health and just wants to stay that way. And that's where I think it is such a wonderful tool because all the advice that you're giving is the way that I think we are meant to live. Well, and as you said it, it's it's very simple. Again, as long as you commit to the process and if you get into your mindset that things aren't changeable, then it feels like you're stuck. And rebuilding is about rebuilding the emotional state, obviously, with the transition state and something we call the future state, it's that emotional thing. But there's really simple steps. I mean, this is simple to rebuild yourself. Okay, so maybe it requires a little work. Maybe you have to get a little motivated. You have to celebrate the the little wins in between. But basically, the five steps are pretty simple to follow. And I think if people commit to doing those, they're going to see some incredible changes in their health. One thing that's so terrific about your book is that you frame diagnosis as an opportunity for a new beginning. So can you talk about how you're able to look at it that way? And because you make it almost like this exciting new journey that you get to go on because you got handed this really bad news. Exactly. And in my personal experience, the destiny of my diagnosis became writing a book, having a new perspective, listening to people more attentively. And not that I didn't before, but it's a different set of ears knowing what people are suffering from, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, heart disease, autoimmunity, obesity, whatever it may be. So my perspective is a personal perspective. And I think saying that a diagnosis isn't your destiny, you choose what you want to do with it. The the information is there, whether you're using or reading Rebuild to rebuild yourself or not. The data is all out there. The research is there that if people use certain protocols, they can rebuild themselves. And you always see it. You always see someone overcoming something, being victorious over something, and doing something in their lives to help those who suffer. For me, we're filming a documentary called Now What? to help others overcome and answer the questions of now what when they're diagnosed with a problem. I wrote a book. I've changed my practice solely into functional medicine and neurology because I have a passion for helping people with disease. So really, when I say a diagnosis is your destiny, is it exciting? I mean, nobody wants to be diagnosed with a disease. We want to be diagnosed with excellent health. But if you are diagnosed with a life-depleting condition or a life-threatening condition or a serious disease, you have the opportunity at this point to make a 180-degree turnaround. And you really talk about the importance of being able to envision your future. I think this was a really good point that I wanted to talk with you about because that plays such a key role in in the ability to heal. And why is it so important? I think if you don't have a clear, motivating picture of where you want to end up, and again, if we're talking about health issues, or maybe it's a mental health issue, or maybe it's a physical issue, if you don't have a clear, motivating picture of the future that you want, changes for yourself won't be sustainable. I mean, I see countless people, and I don't understand it, where patients who They have obesity, they use walkers, they come in with diabetes, they have eczema all over their body, they have bladder dysfunction, and they're not willing to make the sacrificial changes, if you will, for excellent health. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And if these individuals, or if you don't have a clear picture in your mind, mind's eye, Paula, of where you want to be, and it's not emotionally felt, it's not going to stick. People won't stick to the plan. People won't, they'll just say, oh, well, it is what it is. 
you're a fascinating person to talk to because you have so much that you can teach us about this. And I wish we could talk all day because, well, we could, but they'd cut us off. So what I do want to know before I let you go are what three things can our listeners do today to start taking charge of their health? One, I think people need to realize, as we said before about the emotional states, that where you sit or your current state is unsustainable. Then you have to use or figure out a plan that takes you from where you are to the future. And if you have a future plan or a goal in mind, then perhaps using the principles in rebuild will get you to where you need to be, which is restored and renewed health. And number two, that there's Again, and we hear these things quite often, but if I can relay an information about food and diet in all of this, and nobody really likes to hear this, but there's three things or three things people need to eliminate from their diets or the things that I call three foods that kill or bread, dairy, and sugar. And for the sole reasons that most of the information and the research that I've outlined in the book describes what those do to our body. And if people can get rid of those things and use the substitutions that are outlined, you'll see an entirely different human physiology, a different biology. And the second thing is because I'm an exercise buff. And again, if we're going with the principles of using the book Rebuild to Rebuild Yourself, exercise is pretty powerful. And I think if people incorporate something as simple as high intensity interval training into their daily routine or bake it into their routine at 20 minutes, two or three times a week, it's just a fascinating way to rebuild your body, lose toxic fat, get lean, and it's where I get most of my downloads. And so as far as the three big things, I think people need to eat well and communicate and socialize with other. I think people need to understand where they stand and where they are, and it's not sustainable. They need to see themselves in the future. And I think if they re- rebuild, they will be surprised at how quickly they will have their health back. Excellent. Rebuild is such a wonderful book. In just a couple minutes, we're going to come back. We're going to tell our listeners how they can get a free logbook to go with your book and how they can subscribe to your newsletter so they can learn more about how to affect some of these changes in their lives. So Dr. Z, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you've given us a lot to think about. And I thank you for writing that book because it really is a, a great roadmap to better health. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I hope you're rebuilding yourself. Absolutely. That was Dr. Robert Zembrowski, author of the book, Rebuild. If you go to our website, livehappynow.com, you'll link to a download for a free logbook that you can use as you rebuild your own health. And you'll also find a link to Dr. Z's free newsletter, Three Proven Ways to Improve Energy and End Fatigue for Good. And speaking of fatigue, here's one person we never get tired of talking to. It's Live Happy editor, Chris Libby, talking about what we can learn in this month's Finding Happiness column. Well, Chris, welcome back to the studio. I guess you should welcome me to the studio because you're in the studio and I'm calling in. So Sure. Welcome, Chris. Paula. <laughs> Why, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so this is cool. I always love sitting down and talking to you because you find the most interesting things for your Finding Happiness column on livehappy.com. And I wanted to, well, I was going to act like I don't know, but I actually do know what you're going to talk about. So why don't you? <laughs> Well, it's just, I think this is a really cool study. So why don't you tell us what one of the things you're talking about this month? Sure. Today, we're going to talk about being a good neighbor. There was a recent study that came out from the University of Buffalo that says having friends living close to you and making regular positive connections in your neighborhood can improve the overall satisfaction with the neighborhood and improve your life satisfaction as well. 
So basically, if you like the people you live around or you're connected to them, you're going to like where you live better? Pretty much. And it's good for the neighborhood too, the neighborhood status when you practice good neighborly habits like looking after somebody's house when they're gone or checking their mail for them, you know, lending lawn equipment, just doing nice things. And it just makes you feel better and feel safer. You know, there's that's really interesting. And I want to get back to that research because it really backs up the things that we've heard with Dan Butner and his Blue Zones research where he really talks about the value of community and having this neighborhood where you can share your time and you feel connected. And, you know, he even talks about the value of sidewalks because that's what leads you to one another. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the, the things that this study is saying is, did, I mean, did it talk about how you make these connections or what was the, really the focus of it? Well, I mean, the focus was really about just the overall satisfaction of the neighborhood and how even in disadvantaged areas, neighbors who do these good practices, they can change the perceptions of their neighborhood. Because if you have a negative perception of your neighborhood and people become more isolated, you know, bad things like crime or just social isolation, which is a huge problem right now. And that can have bad effects on your health, mental and physical. So it's just a great idea just to know your neighbors and get to know the people around you. Because, you know, after all, we're social and cultural creatures, and that's what we, we seek that out. We need that stuff to, in order to feel good. Yeah, because I think you and I had had a conversation before where we were talking about it used to be that people hung out on their porch and they met each other. Mm-hmm. And now people are like going inside and hiding in their house and trying <laughs> to find a meetup online instead of going out and meeting their neighbors. Yeah. Uh, a perfect example is my wife in our neighborhood. We recently had a block party. I couldn't attend because I had to work. And working too much is another discussion for another day. But yes, I, I think we'll have another podcast on that one. <laughs> but so, and the kids were with the grandma, so she was by herself, and she said, "Well, I don't think I'm going to go." And then she decided, "Well, another neighbor met her outside and said, are you going to go? You should go.'" And she, and she kind of felt guilty. She said, "Okay, I'll go." So she went, and she, when she got back, she said she's really glad that she did because she met so many new people in our neighborhood, and she met a girl who was a young teacher who offered to do tutoring or babysitting. And so now there is a connection that was made and there's people helping each other out. And so that right there, I think, is a great example of this study. And, you know, I lived in Cincinnati for a blink of an eye. And the street that we lived on was really cool because the people, it's kind of like their own neighborhood watch, but it was really a situation where They would call you. It's like, hey, did you know that your back door was open or did you know, you know, they really watched out for each other. And if someone was going on vacation, we had our own Facebook page and they'd say, I'm going to be out of town. Can somebody please do this? Make sure my papers picked up. And they would. And it was really an interesting little community and it's its own little sociological study that was going on there where we really looked out for each other in a way that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. Essentially, your neighbors are your first line of defense when you're not at home. I think just having more, I mean, I've done stories and looked at other research where it's when you have these economically depressed areas and once they're revitalized and people are able to walk around more, people are outside more, people are just out more, then more eyes are able to see and, you know, crime goes down, economic values go up, you know, it attracts merchants, all kinds of good things. 
Then if you're, say you're living in an area and you're not having that experience, Mm -hmm. you're not having the neighborly experience. You have the people who are slamming the doors and staying inside. Mm -hmm. What, what is it like? Should you be the one that takes the initiative and starts, you know, how does this change? Does it start with one? Do you create your own little neighborhood group? What's, what's a great way to, to shift that? Yeah. I mean, be the change that you want to see, I guess, if you live in a neighborhood where people aren't as friendly as you would like them to be. Take initiative. You know, there's always, there's a next door app. There's always meetups. You know, uh, recently here in Texas, I don't know about the rest of the country, but there was a night out that was scheduled where everybody was supposed to get out and, and meet their neighbors and stuff like that. It's organized, I believe, by the cities or local police departments. But yeah, just be proactive. Take well, a, that's take a cool. lasagna to your neighbor. <laughs> and hope they're not gluten-free. Yeah. Take a gluten-free <laughs> lasagna if there is such a thing. <laughs> Well, this is awesome. So where and when can we read this and other interesting happiness facts? Yeah, if you month? like what you heard, you can And read, we did. Yeah, we can read this study and so much more on my blog, Finding Happiness, and it'll be out in just a few weeks. So much more. Yeah, yes. keep checking livehappy.com constantly for it to Every day. To Several times a day. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, this is a wonderful, great topic, great talking to you. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Or I should say, it's been a pleasure (laughs) having you. No, I should say thanks for letting me letting me through the phone line. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Live Happy Now. Be sure to visit us at livehappynow.com to learn more about Dr. Z's book, Rebuild. And if you like what you've heard here today and want to hear more, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Search for Live Happy Now and subscribe today so you will never miss an episode. Well, that's all we have time for today. So please join us back here again next week. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm-hmm.